Part 2, Chapter 2 of Aviation Instructor's Handbook by the FAA. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Domains of Learning As mentioned during the discussion of cognitive theory, Dr. Bloom played a central role in transforming the field of educational psychology. Interested in what and how people learn, he proposed a framework to help understand the major areas of learning and thinking. He first classified them into three large groups, figure 2-8, called the domains of learning, cognitive thinking, affective feeling, psychomotor doing. Cognitive domain, the group effort to classify the levels of thinking behaviors thought to be important in the processes of learning mentioned earlier in the chapter led to Bloom's taxonomy of the cognitive domain. One of the best-known educational domains, it includes remembering specific facts, content knowledge, and concepts that develop intellectual abilities and skills. There are six major categories, starting from the simplest behavior, recalling facts, to the most complex, evaluation, figure 2-9. The four practical learning levels are rote, understanding, application, and correlation, figure 2-10. The lowest level is the ability to repeat something which one has been taught without understanding or being able to apply what has been learned. This is referred to as rote learning. The fact level is a single concept. The key verbs which describe or measure this activity are words such as define, identify, and label. The comprehension or understanding level puts two or more concepts together and uses verbs such as describe, estimate, or explain. The application level puts two or more concepts together to form something new. Typical verbs at this level include determine, develop, and solve. For example, Bill may explain the procedure for entering a level left turn to Beverly. The procedure includes several steps. 1. Visually clear the area. 2. Add a slight amount of power to maintain airspeed. 3. Apply aileron control pressure to the left. 4. Add sufficient rudder pressure in the direction of the turn to avoid slipping and skidding. And 5. Increase back pressure to maintain altitude. When Beverly verbally repeats this instruction, she has learned the procedure by rote. This will not be very useful to her if there is never an opportunity to make a turn in flight, or if she has no knowledge of the function of aircraft controls. With proper instruction on the effect and use of flight controls, and experience in controlling the aircraft during straight and level flight, Beverly can consolidate old and new perception into an insight on how to make a turn. At this point, she has developed an understanding of the procedure for turning the aircraft in flight. This understanding is basic to effective learning, but it may not necessarily enable her to make a correct turn on the first attempt. When Beverly understands the procedure for entering a turn, has had turns demonstrated, and has practiced turn entries until consistency has been achieved, she has developed the skill to apply what has been learned. This is a major level of learning, and one at which the instructor is too often willing to stop. Discontinuing instruction on turn entries at this point, and directing subsequent instruction exclusively to other elements of piloting performance is a characteristic of piecemeal instruction, which is usually inefficient. The correlation level of learning, which should be the object of aviation instruction, 
is that level at which the student becomes able to associate an element which has been learned with other segments or blocks of knowledge. The other segments may be items of skill previously learned or new learning tasks to be undertaken in the future. When Beverly has achieved this level of learning in turn entries, for example, she has developed the ability to correlate the elements of turn entries with a performance in traffic patterns. The three higher thinking skills instructional levels include analysis, synthesis, and evaluation, or HOTS level previously mentioned in the learning theory section. The analysis level involves breaking the information into its component parts, examining, and trying to understand the information in order to develop conclusions, make inferences, and or find evidence to support generalizations. This level uses such verbs as points out, differentiate, distinguish, examine, discriminate, compare, outline, prioritize, recognize, or subdivide. Synthesis involves putting parts together to form a new and integrated whole. Typical verbs for this level include create, design, plan, organize, generate, write, adapt, compare, formulate, devise, model, revise, or incorporate. The final level in the taxonomy is evaluation and involves making judgments about the merits of ideas, materials, or phenomena. The following example demonstrates the difference between learning on the first three levels versus learning critical thinking skills. Bill provides a detailed explanation of how to control for wind drift. The explanation includes a thorough coverage of heading, speed, angle of bank, altitude, terrain, and wind direction, plus velocity. The explanation is followed by a demonstration and repeated practice of a specific flight maneuver, such as turns about a point or S-turns across the road, until the maneuver can be consistently accomplished in a safe and effective manner within a specified limit of heading, altitude, and airspeed. At the end of this lesson, Beverly is only capable of performing the maneuver. Then Bill asks Beverly to plan for the arrival at a specific non-towered airport. The planning should take into consideration the possible wind conditions, arrival paths, airport information and communication procedures, available runways, recommended traffic patterns, courses of action, and preparation for unexpected situations. Upon arrival at the airport, Beverly makes decisions, with guidance and feedback as necessary, to safely enter and fly the traffic pattern. This is followed by a discussion of what was done, why it was done, the consequences, and other possible courses of action and how it applies to other airports. At the end of this lesson, the student is capable of explaining the safe arrival at any non-towered airport in any wind condition. For aviation instructors, educational objectives for the first three levels, knowledge, comprehension, and application, are generally aimed at the result of attending a ground school, reading about aircraft systems, listening to a pre-flight briefing, or taking part in computer-based training. The highest educational objective levels in this domain, analysis, synthesis, and evaluation, can be acquired through SBT training. For example, the student pilot learns to correctly evaluate a flight maneuver or the maintenance student repairs an aircraft engine. Sample questions for each level of the cognitive domain are provided in the graph. Thus, 
SBT correctly utilized reinforces the three higher level thinking skills. Effective Domain The effective domain addresses a learner's emotions toward the learning experience. It includes feelings, values, enthusiasms, motivations, and attitudes. Figure 2-11 For the aviation instructor, this may mean how the student approaches learning. Is he or she motivated to learn? Does he or she exhibit confidence in learning? Does a student have a positive attitude toward safety? The effective domain provides a framework for teaching in five levels, awareness, response, value, organizing, and integration. In this taxonomy, the learner begins on the awareness level and is open to learning, willing to listen to the instructor. As the learner traverses the taxonomy, he or she responds by participating actively in the training, decides the value of the training, organizes the training into his or her personal belief system, and finally internalizes it. The effective domain is more difficult to measure, but motivation and enthusiasm are important components of any learning. Therefore, the aviation instructor should be acquainted with this facet of learning. Motivation is discussed in depth later in the chapter. The psychomotor domain is skill-based and includes physical movement, coordination, and use of the motor skill areas. Figure 2-12. Development of these skills requires repetitive practice and is measured in terms of speed, precision, distance, and techniques. While various examples of the psychomotor domain exist, the practical instructional levels for aviation training purposes include observation, imitation, practice, and habit. This domain is an important component of instruction when aviation instructors prepare students for the practical test. At the first level, the learner observes a more experienced person perform the skill. The instructor has the learner observe sequences and relationships that lead to the finished product. Observation may be supplemented by reading, watching a DVD, or computer-based training. The second level is imitation, in which the learner attempts to copy the skill under the watchful eye of the instructor. The practice level is a proficiency-building experience in which the learner tries a specific activity over and over. It may be conducted by the learner without direct oversight of the instructor, such as touch-and-go landings for the flight student who has flown a successful solo flight. The habit level is reached when the student can perform the skill in twice the time it takes the instructor or an expert to perform. The evaluation of ability is a performance or skill test. If a person continues to perfect a skill, it eventually becomes a skill performed at the expert level. Skills involving the psychomotor domain include learning to fly an instrument precision approach procedure, programming a global positioning system, GPS receiver, or using sophisticated maintenance equipment. As physical tasks and equipment become more complex, the requirement for integration of cognitive and physical skills increases. Summary of Instructor Actions To help students acquire knowledge, the instructor should Ask students to recite or practice newly acquired knowledge. Ask questions that probe student understanding and prompt them to think about what they have learned in different ways. Present opportunities for students to apply what they know to solving problems or making decisions. Present students with problems and decisions that test the limits of their knowledge. Demonstrate the benefits of understanding and being able to apply knowledge. Introduce new topics as they support the objectives of the lesson whenever possible. 
These additional levels of learning are the basis of the knowledge, attitude, and skill learning objectives in advanced qualification programs for airline training. They also can be tied to the PTS to show the level of knowledge or skill required for a particular task. A list of action verbs for the three domains shows appropriate behavioral objectives at each level. Figure 2-13. Instructors who are familiar with curriculum development recognize that the action verbs are examples of performance-based objectives. Characteristics of Learning The ability to learn is one of the most outstanding human characteristics. Learning occurs continuously throughout a person's lifetime. To understand how people learn, it is necessary to understand what happens to the individual during the process. In spite of numerous theories and contrasting views, psychologists generally agree there are many characteristics of learning. Knowledge of the general characteristics of learning help an aviation instructor use them in a learning situation. If learning is a change in behavior as a result of experience, then instruction must include a careful and systematic creation of those experiences that promote learning. This process can be quite complex because, among other things, an individual's background strongly influences the way that person learns. To be effective, the learning situation also should be purposeful, based on experience, multifaceted, and involve an active process. Learning is purposeful. Each student sees a learning situation from a different viewpoint. Each student is a unique individual whose past experiences affect readiness to learn and understanding of the requirements involved. For example, an instructor may give two aviation maintenance students the assignment of learning certain inspection procedures. One student may learn quickly and be able to completely present the assigned material. The combination of an aviation background and future goals may enable that student to realize the need and value of learning the procedure. A second student's goal may only be to comply with the instructor's assignment and may result in only minimum preparation. The responses differ because each student acts in accordance with what he or she sees in the situation. Most people have fairly definite ideas about what they want to do and achieve. Their goals sometimes are short-term, involving a matter of days or weeks. On the other hand, their goals may be carefully planned for a career or a lifetime. Each student has specific intentions and goals. Some may be shared by other students. Students learn from any activity that tends to further their goals. Their individual needs and attitudes may determine what they learn as much as what the instructor is trying to get them to learn. In the process of learning, the student's goals are of paramount importance. To be effective, aviation instructors need to find ways to relate new learning to the student's goals. Learning is a result of experience. Since learning is an individual process, the instructor cannot do it for the student. The student can learn only from personal experiences. Therefore, learning and knowledge cannot exist apart from a person. A person's knowledge is a result of experience, and no two people have had identical experiences. Even when observing the same event, two people react differently. They learn different things from it according to the manner in which the situation affects their individual needs. Previous experience conditions a person to respond to some things and to ignore others. All learning is by experience, but learning takes place in different forms and in varying degrees of richness and depth. For instance, some experiences involve the whole person, while others may be based only on hearing and memory. Aviation instructors are faced with the problem of providing learning experiences 
that are meaningful, varied, and appropriate. As an example, students can learn to say a list of words through repeated drill, or they can learn to recite certain principles of flight by rote. However, they can make them meaningful only if they understand them well enough to apply them correctly to real situations. If an experience challenges the students, requires involvement with feelings, thoughts, memories of past experiences, and physical activity, it is more effective than a learning experience in which all the students have to do is commit something to memory. It seems clear enough that the learning of a physical skill requires actual experience in performing that skill. Student pilots learn to fly aircraft only if their experiences include flying them. Student AMTs learn to overhaul power plants only by actually performing that task. Mental habits are also learned through practice. If students are to use sound judgment and develop decision-making skills, they need learning experiences that involve knowledge of general principles and require the use of judgment in solving realistic problems. Learning is multifaceted. If instructors see their objectives as being only to train their students' memory and muscles, they are underestimating the potential of the teaching situation. Students learn much more than expected if they fully exercise their minds and feelings. The fact that these items were not included in the instructor's plan does not prevent them from influencing the learning situation. Psychologists sometimes classify learning by types, such as verbal, conceptual, perceptual, motor, problem-solving, and emotional. Other classifications refer to intellectual skills, cognitive strategies, and attitudinal changes, along with descriptive terms like surface or deep learning. However useful these divisions may be, they are somewhat artificial. For example, a class learning to apply the scientific method of problem-solving may learn the method by trying to solve real problems. But in doing so, the class also engages in verbal learning and sensory perception at the same time. Each student approaches the task with preconceived ideas and feelings, and for many students, these ideas change as a result of experience. Therefore, the learning process may include verbal elements, conceptual elements, perceptual elements, emotional elements, and problem-solving elements, all taking place at once. This aspect of learning will become more evident later in this handbook when lesson planning is discussed. Learning is multifaceted in still another way. While learning the subject at hand, students may be learning other things as well. They may be developing attitudes about aviation, good or bad, depending on what they experience. Under a skillful instructor, they may learn self-reliance. The list is seemingly endless. This type of learning is sometimes referred to as incidental, but it may have a great impact on the total development of the student. Learning is an active process. Students do not soak up knowledge like a sponge absorbs water. The instructor cannot assume that students remember something just because they were in the classroom, shop, or aircraft when the instructor presented the material. Neither can the instructor assume the students can apply what they know because they can quote the correct answer verbatim. For students to learn, they need to react and respond, perhaps outwardly, perhaps only inwardly, emotionally, or intellectually. Learning Styles Learning styles are simply different approaches or ways of learning based on the fact that people absorb and process information in different ways. Learning style is an individual's preference for understanding experiences and changing them into knowledge. It denotes the typical strategy a learner adopts in a learning situation. For example, 
information may be learned in a variety of ways by seeing or hearing by reflecting or acting analyzing or visualizing or it may be learned piecemeal or steadily just as people learn differently they also have different teaching methods some instructors rely on lectures others demonstrate and others may prefer computer simulation training everyone has a mixture of strengths and preferences not a single style or preference to the complete exclusion of any other please bear this in mind when using these ideas as mentioned in chapter one and the discussion of personality types and learning underpinning the idea of learning style is the theory that everyone has an individual style of learning according to this approach to learning if the student and instructor work with that style rather than against it both benefit currently seventy-one different theories of learning styles have been identified these theories range from simple to complex usually reflecting scientific research about how the brain processes information while the scientific community may be surprised at how the research has been used many educators and school systems have become advocates of applying learning style to teaching methods another model for learning the approaches to learning model bases its theory on the student's learning intentions for example is the student interested in short-term memorization of the material or long-term knowledge does the student want a passing grade on a pop quiz or the ability to use the material learned to repair an engine one feature of the approaches to learning is that the learner's approach to learning depends on his or her reasons for learning this theory reflects the chapter one discussions of adult learners who come to aviation training with definite reasons for learning while controversy exists over the scientific value of learning styles as well as approaches to learning many educational psychologists advocate their use in the learning process knowledge of learning styles and approaches can help an instructor make adjustments in how material is presented if his or her learning slash teaching style differs from the way a student learns since the student's information processing technique personality social interaction tendencies and the instructional methods used are all significant factors training programs should be sensitive to different learning styles right brain left brain according to research on the human brain people have a preferred side of the brain to use for understanding and storing information while both sides of the brain are involved in nearly every human activity it has been shown that those with right brain dominance are characterized as being spatially oriented creative intuitive and emotional those with left brain dominance are more verbal analytical and objective generally the brain functions as a whole for example the right hemisphere may recognize a face while the left associates a name with a face while most people seem to have a dominant side it is a preference not an absolute on the other hand when learning is new difficult or stressful the brain seems to go on autopilot to the preferred side recognizing a student's dominant brain hemisphere gives the instructor a guide for ways to teach and reinforce learning there are also some people who use both sides of the brain equally well for understanding and storing information figure 2-14 holistic serialist theory as seen in figure 2-14 right and left brain learners have preferences for how they process information based on information processing theory 
Left brain learners or serialist learners have an analytical approach to learning because they gain the understanding in linear steps with each step logically following the previous one. These learners need well-defined sequential steps where the overall picture is developed slowly, thoroughly, and logically. This is a bottom-up strategy. Right brain or holistic learners favor the holist strategy and prefer a big picture or global perspective. This is a top-down strategy, and learners tend to learn in large jumps, absorbing material almost randomly, without seeing connections, until suddenly it clicks, and they get it. Global learners solve complex problems rapidly once they have grasped the big picture, but they often have difficulty explaining how they did it. This type of learner seeks overall comprehension. Analogies help this learner. Index of Learning Styles ILS. In 1988, Richard Felder and Linda Silverman designed a learning style model with parallel learning styles that classified students as having learning preferences in sensing or intuitive, visual or verbal, active or reflective, sequential or global, discussed under holistic slash serialist learning style. Dr. Felder maintains a website at www.ncsu.edu slash unity slash lockers slash users slash f slash Felder slash public slash uppercase rmf dot html that offers learners the opportunity to assess learning preferences at no cost for non-commercial purposes. Figure 2-15. Visual Auditory Kinesthetic Learners, V-A-K. One of the most popular learning styles is based on the three main sensory receptors, vision, hearing, and touch. These are called Visual, Auditory, and Kinesthetic Learning Styles, V-A-K. Figure 2-16. Research in this area dates back to the early 20th century, and the concepts were developed over many years by psychologists and teaching specialists. Others have augmented the VAK model with the addition of R for reading, V-A-R-K, or the addition of T for tactile, V-A-K-T, or even a combination of the terms for V-A-R-K-T. Learners generally use all three styles to receive information, but one of these ways of receiving information is dominant. Once again, the dominant style of receiving information is the best way for a person to learn new information, but this style may not be the same for every task. The learner may use one style of learning or a combination of styles depending on the learning task. Visual learners rely on seeing to learn. They learn best if a major component of the lesson is something they can see, and work best with printed and graphic materials, and visual displays including diagrams, illustrated textbooks, overhead transparencies, videos, flip charts, and handouts. They store information in their brains as pictures or images. They like to take extensive notes. Statistically, most people are visual learners. Auditory learners transfer knowledge through listening and speaking. These learners need an oral component to the lesson, such as verbal instructions. 
These learners have excellent listening skills and remember what was discussed over what was seen. They are better at verbally explaining than at writing. Since auditory learners prefer to listen to material, they are not good note-takers. Kinesthetic learners process and store information through physical experience, such as touching, manipulating, using, or doing. They like to move around while trying to solve a problem and learn best when the material being taught involves hands-on practical experiences. Their concentration tends to wander when there is no external stimulation. They also learn from demonstration by watching carefully, then imagining or mirroring the demonstrator's movements. Learners may prefer one of these three learning styles over another, but most learners employ all three depending on the material being learned. For example, when Beverly makes her first landing with Bill guiding her attempt, she employs visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning. As the aircraft centers downwind, Beverly uses visual cues to recognize the airport and landing strip as she lines the aircraft up to land. As Bill talks her through the procedures, Beverly is using her auditory learning skills to learn how to land the aircraft. Finally, she needs to use kinesthetic skills to perform the actual landing. Remember, good learners are capable of processing information in a variety of ways. The key to meeting individual student needs is to ensure a variety of learning styles are addressed in every lesson. Superlinks. In a theory proposed by Ricky Linksman, the learning style ideas discussed in the preceding paragraphs have been melded into a concept based on the VAKT learning styles plus brain hemisphere preference. This superlink, as she calls it, is the easiest way for a learner to process information in order to understand, remember, and retain it. Matching visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and tactile with right and left brain research, Linksman created eight superlinks visual left brain, visual right brain, auditory left brain, auditory right brain, tactile left brain, tactile right brain, kinesthetic left brain, and kinesthetic right brain. These superlinks accelerate learning by targeting the best way a person learns. Summary. As mentioned earlier, there are many models of how people learn. Some models identify styles or approaches that are easily recognized, such as collaborative sharing students who also enjoy working with others, versus competitive students who are grade conscious and feel they must do better than their peers. Participant students normally have a desire to learn and enjoy attending class, and avoidance students do not take part in class activities and have little interest in learning. The learning environment also influences learning style. In real life, most students find it necessary to adapt to a traditional style learning environment provided by a school, university, or other educational training establishment. Sometimes, the student's ways of learnings may or may not be compatible with his or her environment. Instructors who recognize either the learning style or learning approach of students and problems associated with them are more effective teachers than those who do not. Also, these instructors are prepared to develop appropriate lesson plans and provide guidance, counseling, or other advisory services as required. Acquiring Skill Knowledge An aviation instructor also helps a student acquire skill knowledge, which is knowledge reflected in motor or manual skills and in cognitive or mental skills 
that manifests itself in the doing of something. Thus, skill knowledge differs from declarative knowledge because the student is not usually aware of it consciously or able to articulate the skill. Evidence of skill knowledge is gained through observations of performance. This knowledge of how to do things is based on extensive practice, which leads to the storage of skill knowledge. An everyday example of skill knowledge is the ability to ride a bicycle. Skill knowledge is acquired slowly through related experience. For example, a maintenance student who is learning to weld typically burns or cracks the metal being welded, while an expert welder's work is free of such imperfections. What does the experienced welder know that the beginner does not? The expert welder has had many hours of practice, and a knowing-is-the-doing ability the inexperienced welder lacks. It isn't always possible to reduce to mere words that which one knows or knows how to do. Stages of Skill Acquisition Students make their way from beginner to expert via three stages of skill knowledge acquisition, helping students transition from beginner to expert. The development of any skill acquisition or the learning process has three characteristic stages, cognitive, associative, and automaticity. An instructor must learn to recognize each stage in student performance in order to assess student progress. Cognitive stage. Cognitive learning has a basis in factual knowledge. Since the student has no prior knowledge of flying, the instructor first introduces him or her to a basic skill. The student then memorizes the steps required to perform the skill. As the student carries out these memorized steps, he or she is often unaware of progress or may fixate on one aspect of performance. Performing the skill at this stage typically requires all the student's attention. Distractions introduced by an instructor often cause performance to deteriorate or stop. The best way to prepare the student to perform a task is to provide a clear step-by-step -step example. Having a model to follow permits students to get a clear picture of each step in the sequence so they understand what is required and how to do it. In flight or maintenance training, the instructor provides demonstration, emphasizing the steps and techniques. During classroom instruction, an outside expert may be used, either in person or in video presentation. In any case, students need to have a clear impression of what they are to do. For example, Beverly enters a steep turn after increasing power by a prescribed amount and adjusting the pitch trim. She fixates on the altitude indicator as she attempts to achieve the desired bank angle. The bank angle exceeds tolerances as she struggles to correct it, making many abrupt control inputs. Associative Stage Even demonstrating how to do something does not result in the student learning the skill. Practice is necessary in order for the student to learn how to coordinate muscles with visual and tactile senses. Learning to perform various aircraft maintenance skills or flight maneuvers requires practice. Another benefit of practice is that as the student gains proficiency in a skill, verbal instructions become more meaningful. A long, detailed explanation is confusing before the student begins performing, whereas specific comments are more meaningful and useful after the skill has been partially mastered. As the storage of a skill via practice continues, the student learns to associate individual steps in performance with likely outcomes. The student no longer performs a series of memorized steps, 
but is able to assess his or her progress along the way and make adjustments in performance. Performing the skill still requires deliberate attention, but the student is better able to deal with distractions. For example, Beverly enters the steep turn and again struggles to achieve the desired bank angle. Still working on the bank angle, she remembers the persistent altitude control problem and glances at the altimeter. Noticing that the aircraft has descended almost 100 feet, she increases back pressure on the control and adjusts the trim slightly. She goes back to a continuing struggle with the bank angle, keeping it under control with some effort, and completes the turn 80 feet higher than started. Automatic Response Stage Automaticity is one of the byproducts of practice. As procedures become automatic, less attention is required to carry them out, so it is possible to do other things simultaneously, or at least do other things more comfortably. By this stage, student performance of the skill is rapid and smooth. The student devotes much less deliberate attention to performance and may be able to carry on a conversation or perform other tasks while performing the skill. The student makes far fewer adjustments during his or her performance, and these adjustments tend to be small. The student may no longer be able to remember the individual steps in the procedure or explain how to perform the skill. For example, the student smoothly increases power, back pressure on the yoke, and trim as a turn is entered. During the turn, the instructor questions the student on an unrelated topic. The student answers the questions while making two small adjustments in pitch and trim, and then rolls out of the turn with the altimeter centered on the target altitude. Noting the dramatically improved performance, the instructor asks, What are you doing differently? The student seems unsure and says, I have developed a feel for it. Knowledge of Results In learning some simple skills, students can discover their own errors quite easily. In other cases, such as learning complex aircraft maintenance skills, flight maneuvers, or flight crew duties, mistakes are not always apparent. A student may know that something is wrong, but not know how to correct it. In any case, the instructor provides a helpful and often critical function in making certain that the students are aware of their progress. It is perhaps as important for students to know when they are right as when they are wrong. They should be told as soon after the performance as possible and should not be allowed to practice mistakes. It is more difficult to unlearn a mistake and then learn the skill correctly than to learn correctly in the first place. One way to make students aware of their progress is to repeat a demonstration or example and to show them the standards their performance must ultimately meet. How to develop skills. Theories about how a skill evolves from the awkward and deliberate performance associated with the cognitive stage to the smooth and steady-handed performance of the automatic response stage have one thing in common. Progress appears to depend on repeated practice. Making progress towards automating a skill seems to be largely a matter of performing the skill over and over again. In skill learning, the first trials are slow and coordination is lacking. Mistakes are frequent, but each trial provides clues for improvement in subsequent trials. The student modifies different aspects of the skill, such as how to hold the yoke or weld correctly. How long does it take to become proficient in a skill? Studies of skill learning have demonstrated that progress tends to follow what is known as a power law of practice. This law simply states that the speed of performance of a task improves 
as a power of the number of times the task is performed. The logarithm of the reaction time for a particular task decreases linearly with the logarithm of the number of practice trials taken. Qualitatively, the law simply says that practice improves performance. The graph in Figure 2-17 shows how the power law of practice relates the time required to perform a skill to the number of times the skill has been practiced. While it is impossible to predict how many practice trials a student will require to develop a skill to maturity, the general shape of the power law of practice offers some clues. Learning progress proceeds at a fast pace in the beginning, when there is ample room for improvement, and tends to slow down as performance becomes more skilled. In later stages of learning, improvement is more gradual. Once the curve levels off, it may stay level for a significant period of time. Further improvement may even seem unlikely. This is called a learning plateau. Learning Plateaus Learning plateaus are a normal part of the learning process and tend to be temporary, but instructors and students should be prepared for them. A learning plateau may signify a number of conditions. For example, the student may have reached capability limits, may be consolidating levels of skill, interest may have waned, or the student may need a more efficient method for increasing progress. Instructors themselves can bring on a learning plateau by overpractice. After repeating any task three or four times, give it a break to avoid causing a learning plateau. Keep in mind that the apparent lack of increasing proficiency does not necessarily mean that learning has ceased. The point is that, in learning motor skills, a leveling process or plateau is normal and should be expected after an initial period of rapid improvement. The instructor should prepare the student for this situation to avert discouragement. If the student is aware of this learning plateau, frustration may be minimized. Instructors can help students who fall into a learning plateau by moving the student to a different place in the curriculum and giving the current task a break. Instructors should also be aware they can bring on a learning plateau by overpractice. Learning plateau problems can sometimes be alleviated also by the instructor better explaining the lesson, the reason for the lesson, and how it applies to the student. Types of practice. Once a student learns the skill, it is important to continue some practice to improve retention, but the power law of practice raises the question of whether or not there is a point at which continued practice no longer leads to improvement. Since athletic coaches, among others, are very interested in maximizing performance, much research has been done on the subject. Within the last few years, research has shown that how practice is structured makes an important impact on how well people retain what they have learned. There are three types of practice, each of which yields particular results in acquiring skills, deliberate, blocked, and random. Deliberate practice. In order for a student to gain skill knowledge and learn how to perform the skill on the automatic level, a student must engage in deliberate practice. This practice is aimed at a particular goal. During deliberate practice, the student practices specific areas for improvement and receives specific feedback after practice. The feedback points out discrepancies between the actual performance and the performance goal sought. During deliberate practice, a student focuses on eliminating these discrepancies. Figure 2-18 Studies of skill learning suggest a student achieves better results if distractions are avoided during deliberate practice. 
when feedback is needed to correct student performance, it should be brief and explicit. Examples of individual skills for pilots are landings, stalls, steep turns, and procedure flows. Examples for maintenance technicians are correct installation of piston rings on a reciprocating engine, setting timing on an aircraft engine, and installing a tack generator. Unlike the acquisition of knowledge, skill learning does not benefit from the instructor introducing the student to new ideas or prompting the student to think about old ones in different ways. On the other hand, instructors should not confuse distractions during skill learning with the legitimate use of distractions to help a student learn how to manage his or her attention while coordinating several tasks that have been mastered to some degree. Blocked practice. Blocked practice is practicing the same drill until the movement becomes automatic. Doing the same task over and over leads to better short-term performance, but poor long-term learning. It tends to fool not only the student, but the instructor into thinking the skills have been well learned. While block practice enhances current performance, it does not improve either concept learning or retrieval from long-term memory. Figure 2-19. Random practice. Random practice mixes up the skills to be acquired throughout the practice section. This type of practice leads to better retention because by performing a series of separate skills in a random order, the student starts to recognize the similarities and differences of each skill, which makes it more meaningful. The learner also is able to store this skill more effectively in long-term memory. Students are then required to retrieve steps and parameters from long-term memory, which helps the student recognize patterns between tasks. Blocked practice performance scores well during the actual practice when compared to random practice performance. But on a test given the next day, Random practice does better than blocked practice. For long-term retention of aviation knowledge, the instructor who uses well-written SBT, which encourages random practice, and leads to better retention of information. How much practice is needed to attain proficiency? In planning for student skill acquisition, a primary consideration is the length of time devoted to practice. A beginning student reaches a point where additional practice is not only unproductive, but may even be harmful. When this point is reached, errors increase and motivation declines. As a student gains experience, longer periods of practice are profitable. Another consideration is the problem of whether to divide the practice period. Perhaps even the related instruction should be broken down into segments, or it may be advantageous to plan one continuous integrated sequence. The answer depends on the nature of the skill. Some skills are composed of closely related steps, each dependent on the preceding one. Learning to pack a parachute is a good example. Other skills are composed of related subgroups of skills. Learning to overhaul an aircraft engine is a good example. One way to structure practice to get the most from learning is to expose the students to the same knowledge and skill in different contexts. For example, after practicing the short field landing in the aircraft, Return to the classroom and rehearse the procedures using the toy airplane. Then, watch a video that shows a variety of back-to-back -back landings and have the student describe what went right and what went wrong. Each of these learning methods gives the student the chance to practice the maneuver while adding new perceptions and insights to his or her skill base.
Evaluation versus Critique In the initial stages of skill acquisition, practical suggestions are more valuable to the student than a grade. Early evaluation is usually teacher-oriented. It provides a check on teaching effectiveness, can be used to predict eventual student learning proficiency, and can help the teacher locate special problem areas. The observations on which evaluations are based can also identify the student's strengths and weaknesses, a prerequisite for making constructive criticism. For additional information, refer to Chapter 5, Assessment. As a student practices a skill, it is important he or she perform the skill correctly and that the skill being practiced is one that needs to be developed to maturity. An instructor ensures a skill is practiced correctly by monitoring the practice and providing feedback about the skill development. The student profits by having someone watch the performance and provide constructive criticism to help eliminate errors. Providing compliments and aspects of the skill that were performed correctly help keep the evaluation positive. Allowing the student to critique his or her performance enhances student-centered training. Instructors should note, students can develop deviations from the intended method of performance at any stage of skill acquisition. Overlearning of knowledge. Overlearning is the continued study of a skill after initial proficiency has been achieved. Practice proceeds beyond the point at which the skill can be performed with the required degree of excellence. The phenomenon of overlearning sometimes occurs when knowledge used frequently begins to take on the properties of a skill. For example, a student's everyday knowledge about weight and balance concepts tend to center on the routine use of familiar charts found in the aircraft. Eventually, the student's performance is characterized less by an understanding of weight and balance concepts and more by an automatic process in which rows and columns of familiar charts give desired numbers. In some cases, the overlearning of knowledge has the advantage of making application of knowledge more streamlined and efficient. In other cases, the development of automated routines can lead to problems. For example, a verbal checklist procedure becomes so automatic that streamlined recitation of checklist items becomes decoupled from the thoughts and actions the checklist items are intended to trigger. In this case, the pilot or mechanic may not stop to consider each item. The development of automated skills can impede further learning or lead to forgetting general knowledge. In one study, student pilots and flight instructors were asked to solve weight and balance problems using charts taken from two different aircraft. One, a small single-engine airplane they flew on a daily basis, and two, a different small single-engine airplane in which they had no experience. Test scores were surprisingly low when the charts for the unfamiliar airplane were used, and this was as true for instructors as it was for students. The results suggest pilots had focused on developing streamlined, automatic procedures tuned to the details of the familiar aircraft charts, while their ability to use their understanding of overall weight and balance concepts seemed to have diminished. Instructors must remain aware of skills students develop as a result of overlearning and help make sure that their actions continue to be accomplished by use of their underlying knowledge. As a student progresses, the key difference between knowledge and skill becomes apparent. Memorized facts about a topic that once supported the beginner's awkward performance of the skill tend to develop into deeper understanding. 
skill acquisition involves learning many individual steps that eventually meld into a seemingly continuous automated process, at which point the student has entered the procedural knowledge realm and may no longer be consciously aware of the individual steps. Application of Skill The final and critical question is, can the student use what has been learned? It is not uncommon to find that students devote weeks and months in school learning new abilities and then fail to apply these abilities on the job. To solve this problem, two conditions must be present. First, the student must learn the skill so well that it becomes easy, even habitual. Second, the student must recognize the types of situations where it is appropriate to use the skill. This second condition involves the question of transfer of learning which is discussed later in this chapter. Summary of Instructor Actions To help students acquire skills, the instructor should explain that the key to acquiring and improving any skill is continued practice, monitor student practice of skills and provide immediate feedback, avoid conversation and other distractions when students are practicing individual skills, Explain that learning plateaus are common and that continued practice leads to continued improvement. Putting it all together. Many skills are learned before a student can fly an airplane or a maintenance student can rebuild an aircraft engine. Just as practicing skills is a fundamental part of learning to play the piano, the student does not make music until the ability to combine the notes in a variety of ways is acquired. For the student pilot or technician, Practicing specific skills is essential, but flying a cross-country trip or repairing a collapsed landing gear requires putting it all together in the right way to achieve success. The following section looks at the challenge of learning to perform several tasks at once, dealing with distractions and interruptions, overcoming problems with fixation and inattention. It also deals with the benefits of using realistic training scenarios to develop these abilities. Multitasking. Multitasking is a simultaneous execution of two or more tasks. A hallmark of the proficient pilot or mechanic is the ability to multitask. In aviation, multitasking involves two different abilities, attention switching and simultaneous performance. It is useful to distinguish between the two types of multitasking because developing both types of abilities is an important part of aviation training. Attention Switching Continuously switching attention back and forth between two or more tasks is attention switching. For example, when Beverly uses a checklist to perform a pre-flight inspection, she must continuously switch her attention between the checklist and the equipment she is inspecting. She looks at the checklist to retrieve the next step of the procedure, then looks at the equipment to perform this step. For many kinds of tasks, Attention switching is the only way to accomplish multitasking. For example, it is generally impossible to look at two different things at the same time. The area of focus division, called the fovea, is only a few degrees in span and can only be directed at one location at a time. Similarly, people cannot listen to two conversations at the same time. While both conversations fall upon the ears at once, people must devote their attention to the comprehension of one to the exclusion of the other. Psychologists sometimes refer to these limiting features of human information processing capabilities as bottlenecks. For example, 
people have bottlenecks within the individual perceptual channels of hearing and seeing. Another important bottleneck becomes apparent when people attempt to process the information perceived or retrieved from memories. Indeed, it seems impossible to think about two different things at the same time. Simultaneous Performance Performing several tasks at once, or simultaneous performance, is the second type of multitasking, figure 2-20. This type of multitasking becomes possible when no bottlenecks are present and one or more of the tasks being performed are skills developed to the point of being automatic. For example, the experienced instrument pilot is able to perform basic attitude instrument flying while communicating with ADC. For these pilots, scanning instruments and responding to minor altitude deviations with small control inputs has become automatic. The attentional resources of the pilot are free to devote to thinking and talking about other topics. It is important to note that the ability to simultaneously perform tasks is a fragile phenomenon. For example, suppose Beverly is performing the basic attitude control task and communicating with ATC when she suddenly encounters turbulence. The attitude control task quickly increases in difficulty and begins to require more and more deliberate attention. Her ability to perform both tasks simultaneously quickly degrades. Learning to multitask. Since doing several things at once is a natural part of aviation, instructors need to help students develop both types of multitasking abilities, attention switching, and simultaneous performance. Before students are able to perform several tasks at once, instructors should ensure that the student has devoted enough time to study and practice such that the individual tasks can be performed reasonably well in isolation. Inexperience with an individual task can often hinder attempts to learn combinations of it and other tasks. For example, a student distracted by trying to interpret unfamiliar symbols on a sectional chart inadvertently deviates from an assigned altitude or heading. An instructor recognizes the need to spend more time with these skills in isolation. In this case, there is nothing about the experience of controlling the aircraft that helps students better understand chart symbols. Distractions and Interruptions A distraction is an unexpected event that causes the student's attention to be momentarily diverted. Students must learn to decide whether or not a distraction warrants further attention or action on their part. Once this has been decided, the student must either turn their attention back to what they were doing or act on the distraction. An interruption is an unexpected event for which the student voluntarily suspends performance of one task in order to complete a different one. Interruptions are a significant source of errors, and students must be made aware of potential for errors caused by interruptions and develop procedures for dealing with them. A classic example is an interruption that occurs while a student is following the steps in a written procedure or checklist. The student puts down the checklist, deals with the interruption, and then returns to the procedure, but erroneously picks up at a later point in the procedure, omitting one or more steps. Fixation and inattention. Since human attention is limited in focus and highly prone to distraction, people are vulnerable to two other types of problems, fixation and inattention. Fixation occurs when a student becomes absorbed in performing one task 
to the exclusion of other tasks. Instructors see many examples of this in student performance. Beginning instrument pilots characteristically fixate on particular instruments, attempting to control one aspect of their performance while other aspects deteriorate. Fixation on a task is often a sign that the task has not received enough practice in isolation. That is, the student has not yet mastered the task well enough to perform it in addition to other tasks. Fixation can happen even when individual skills have been reasonably mastered, when students have not yet learned the importance of managing their own limited attentional resources. Inattention occurs when a student fails to pay attention to a task that is important. Inattention is sometimes a natural byproduct of fixation. Students fixate on one task and become too busy to attend to other tasks. Inattention also happens when students are not busy. Attention may drift when they become bored or think that a task does not deserve their attention. In some cases, this type of inattention is difficult to eliminate through training and practice. For example, it is well known that humans perform poorly when placed in the role of passive monitor. Many studies have shown how performance rapidly deteriorates when humans are asked to passively monitor gauges or the progress of an automated system such as a GPS navigation computer or autopilot. Furthermore, it seems that the more reliable the system becomes, the poorer the human performance becomes at the monitoring task. The first line of defense against this type of inattention is to alert the student to the problem and to help students develop habits that keep their attention focused. How to identify fixation or inattention problems? One way for instructors to identify problems with fixation or inattention is to try and follow where students look. To accomplish this, instructors can glance at a student's eyes to determine where the student is looking. Students who appear to look at one instrument for an extended period of time might have a problem with fixation. Students whose gaze is never directed toward engine instruments might have a problem with inattention. The technique of following student eye movements is useful, but it has limitations, since looking in the same direction as a student is not the same as seeing what the student sees. End of part two of chapter two.